You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. It's Monday. Lucky. And yeah, the first episode of Lucky. <laughs> Falcon and Winter Soldier came out. So by the time this comes out, the second episode will have already been aired. Hopefully they'll be... Together. More, together. Yes. Essentially. Like just at least be together. I want to see Sam sending several angry emojis to yes. Bucky. And we didn't even get that on the no. first episode. Just bicker. Like a married couple. That's all I want. I don't know. I had certain expectations and it went a very different yeah. way. Yeah. Not... And I get, like, I get they have, they're setting it up. I get that. But like we talked about, the main thing is it's like, it's only six episodes. episodes. And they're not very long. And they're not that long. So you just had one episode that was basically filler. Yes. Was the setup, but it was a slow setup when you don't have enough episodes to set it up. I feel like even the first episode of WandaVision, you already were like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah, you already had some yeah. sort of an idea that things were going poorly. Yes. And that shit was getting fucked up. Yes. So, and that episode was like 33 minutes long. Yes. <laughs> so that's my main thing. I've like, if, if it was going to be a 10 episode series, I've been like, okay, this is fine. Like, yeah. yeah, let me see what they're doing. But I'm like, no, I don't want just five episodes of them bickering. I want 12. <laughs> I want, I want 25. <laughs> but it's fine. They, as long as they hit the ground running as soon as episode two come out. So, yeah, I think that's it. I think that's the only thing exciting going on in our lives. Yeah, probably. So, 48. Martha's going to go first. Yep. But before that happens. Yes. I'm Brittany Vitrino. I'm Martha Bartlett. And this is But But First, Let's Let's Talk Talk Nerdy. nerdy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we didn't clink, though. Clonk. They're big this time. I was going to say, that makes sense. They are big. Mm-hmm. We have big ones. It's like giant church bells. The, the <laughs> bong. 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 All right. I already know what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. But what are we talking about today, Martha? I guessed it a couple minutes before because yeah. she was very obvious about so it. So to be fair, I opened my computer and it was right on the screen. <laughs> like a big fucking picture of my topic. And I was like, oh no. And she's been watching it all week. Just being subtle and being like, oh, <laughs> yes. yes, I was still watching this. <laughs> Which like, it wasn't going to work anyways, but like I could have I don't know. Martha doesn't know what the meaning of subtle is. I don't appreciate subtlety. (laughs) It's not for me, that's for sure. (laughs) All right, Martha, what are we talking about today? So what am I talking about today? I'm talking about fucking Samurai Jack. (gasps) What? What? Yes. I would never have guessed that ever. probably not thought about Samurai Jack in several years, right? No. Or you've seen me watching it several times. Uh, so my sources today are fandom, Wikipedia, I watched it all, I listened to a couple interviews with Gendy Tartakovsky, also there was an analysis of Samurai Jack by Mikhail, and uh, Samurai Jack is probably the most beautiful, inventive cartoon ever on Vice. Which, yeah, that's probably fair. 
at least American-wise. So, Samurai Jack is an American animated television series. As I say, that was a good old Wikipedia uh, copy-paste, because those are how mine normally start. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, created by Gendy Tartakovsky for Cartoon Network. Uh, Tartakovsky uh, conceived of Samurai Jack after finishing his work on his first Cartoon Network original series, Dexter's Laboratory. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, which premiered <laughs> in 1986. So he made a lot of basically like the heyday of like good, good cartoons. He had hands in almost all of them. There we go. Mm-hmm. I like it. Dexter's Lab, Powerpuff Girls, he did some stuff with that. So when Tartakovsky was pitching the series, he basically was like, hey, remember um, David Carradine in Kung Fu, which was an old show? Wasn't that cool? And then that was pretty much the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Short and to the point. <laughs> exactly. Um, so the basic premise of Samurai Jack f- comes from Tartakovsky's childhood fascination with samurai culture and the Bushido Code as well as a recurring dream where he wandered a post-apocalyptic earth with a samurai sword and traveled the world fighting mutants with his crush. That is a good recurring dream. (laughs) I only have weird recurring nightmares. (laughs) The show is meant to evoke 1970s cinematography, as well as classic Hollywood films such as Ben-Hur, Lawrence of Arabia, and Spartacus. Thematic and uh, visual inspirations come from Literally fucking everything. They're all over the place. Um, there's very specific homages to um, Frank Miller's comic book series Ronin, and then also uh, Miller's graphic novel 300 inspired the episode that is Jack of, uh, Jack and the Spartans. So if you ever want to watch 300, but you don't have that much time and you'd rather watch it in a cartoon, you can just watch that episode. <laughs> it's basically the same goddamn thing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. There's much less slow motion. <laughs> <laughs> the Japanese comic Lone Wolf and Cub and films by Akira Kurosawa were also an inspiration. So Samurai Jack was one of those cartoons that was just like fucking art. Like everything that it did, it was just beautiful. They did a great job with visual storytelling. Um, it was yeah, There's not a lot of words. Yeah. Ever. Yeah, which was... Very different from any, like, mm-hmm. cartoon that was on at the time. The art was very minimalist. Uh, nothing had any outlines. So, like, they started with outlines and they kind of took them away. And because of that, they had to make sure that everything stood out against the background. I was watching, like, a video on it that was, like, the only way to make sure that this actually works is if you make it in black and white and see if everything's actually as striking as it is. And it was. Mm-hmm. It's like, Fuck. But yeah, so it's a crossbreed of folk art, classic manga, cyberpunk, and Sunday funnies. Uh, Samurai Jack was a cartoon like no other, rich in genre, narrative, and most noticeably, visual experimentation. The show was a critical wonderkind... Oh, boy. (laughs) That's not my word. The show was fucking killing it. Um, And winning four primetime Emmy Awards uh, in its original four-season run. Gendy was working towards trying to make what he thought uh, the ideal action show was, and his like four needs for that were stylized visuals, visual storytelling, little dialogue, and artistry slash badass action. And very, very much accomplished that. 
Um, because there's a lot less dialogue, the sound and the music is especially evocative and tells a lot of the story as well. Like you'll frequently have two or three minute sequences where the only sound going on is the music or like sound effects. Or a crying fucking baby. Or a crying fucking baby. That's literally one episode. <laughs> well, I heard it a lot. It's true. <laughs> and it's fun because, so, um, Gendy Tartakovsky actually, he, like, does the cartoon and then he has all of the music and sound effects kind of planned in his head, but he doesn't write anything out. So when he's working with the sound person, he's just kind of like, beatboxing weird sound mm-hmm. effects and they're like okay we can find this and go from it that's funny yeah which i guess a lot of other cartoons or shows just put in like a fake sound thing mm-hmm. to make it into a real sound yeah thing, which kind of gives you already like preconceived notions so yeah so instead all of this music is specifically like samurai jack music which, and it's all so goddamn good yeah it is mm-hmm. And then there's a lot of times where it starts off with sound effects and music and the sound effects kind of go away and they're just still there in your head. Brain! (laughs) Yeah. Like, the videos that I watched on it, I was like, God, I'm so mad about how this is so cool. (laughs) Gendy Tartakovsky was saying that um, there's too much music in everything that we watch for the most part. And it washes over um, that, and I hate that, to waste a cue like that uh, for it to just be filler, where where it says nothing. So basically, like, he was talking about working with musicians on, like, movies and things like that, and they were like, do you want us to just fill the space? And he's like, no, the space has meaning. Mm-hmm. Fill it when it's necessary, but if it's not telling a story, then why? Don't put it in there. Yep. Which is very different from a lot of this other stuff. I also feel like so Samurai Jack is what I wanted Batman to be. <laughs> Someone who came from privilege and knew it was their fight to fight against evil, and so they immersed themselves in other cultures to learn their fighting styles. And, like, also, in coming from privilege, it doesn't make him, like, also not a billionaire, because they didn't have that back then. The first episode begins with a solar eclipse, The eclipse has a strange effect on what appears to be a warped dead tree in the middle of a wasteland. The tree springs out of the ground and grows into a tall, dark figure with flaming eyebrows. The figure states, Once again, I am free to smite the world as I did in days long past. Which is a super baller thing to immediately wake up and say. I'm usually like, (laughs) That's my morning (laughs) thing. Uh, meanwhile, not every morning I work, wake up now and go, don't move too much. Your ransom's going to get excited. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're going to have to get up. <laughs> yeah, actually, my morning cry is usually Luna. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> or Luna. Luna, no. <laughs> um, meanwhile, not far from here, an emperor of a Japanese homeland tells his son about a war he fought against an evil shape-shifting demon named Aku. Uh, so fucking cool Uh, he continues to explain that Aku rose from the pit of hate to ravage land when the emperor was still young and on his own he was helpless uh, but he uh, had remembered a tale from his great grandfather about three monks gifted with mystical powers basically rode to them and they forged uh, they agreed to forge a magical sword for him and with that sword he was able to defeat Aku and implant him into the very wasteland that he created. 
But since then, the people of their country had rebuilt the land in hopes that a coup would never return. And then the emperor finishes his story with a warning to his son to always be alert for evil might be lurking right behind him. This would be foreshadowing, but shit hits the fan literally immediately. (laughs) Uh, Impressed by the tale, the prince is playing with a sword, and then all of a sudden a great shadow falls over the land, and an alarm sounds as a coup forces his way through the palace wall. Uh, They try to fight him off using a bunch of different weapons, which he just absorbs and then fires back to them because he's a boss motherfucking bitch. Yeah, he overwhelming power. He blasts the land with his laser eyes. He sets everything ablaze. The emperor tries to fetch his sword and a coup captures him. Uh, while he's being carried away, the emperor shouts to uh, the prince's mother, uh, mother, a coup has returned. Do as we have planned. Our future depends on it. And she grabs the prince and the sword and carries them away from the palace. They get in a boat and get the fuck out of there. They go from one boat to another boat, and in the next boat, uh, basically the Empress hands over the prince to the captain of a ship, which bears the emblem of his father, and the sword stays with her. So the prince spends his childhood and teenage years in various cultures, learning about the culture and their different defenses and fighting styles, fully immersed and as a kid, so, you know, this is when that actual shit will genuinely sink in probably learns a bunch of different languages because of fucking course. Uh, The ship captain teaches him about astronomy. He goes from there to an Arab sheik and learns equestrianism. He learns stick fighting from the chief of an African tribe. In Egypt, he studies hieroglyphics. In Greece, he learns wrestling. He learns marksmanship from actual Robin Hood, who keeps popping up in my fucking stories. Um, Is he a fox? No, sadly. (laughs) Uh, he learns axe throwing from a Russian boyar, and I don't know what that is, but I assume they throw axes. <laughs> uh, Mongol, Mongol warriors teach him spear throwing, and then he... How reaches... do you know all these people? So basically, the emperor, once the whole shit went down with Aku, put all of this goddamn shit together. Oh, okay. And was like, we have to figure out a way to make this happen, and I'm too old to do it, and my son is here. You is worthy... He was worth the hammer. (laughs) Exactly. I will say, definitively, Jack could wheel me over. No problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then his last place that he reaches is a temple of Shaolin to study Kung Fu. And here's a fun fact about me. (laughs) I was tired of typing duck instead of fuck a while back on my phone every time that I like typed anything mm-hmm. and it was driving me fucking crazy. So I went in and added a shortcut for both fuck and fucking. And so now when I type F-U, fuck just pops up. So every time I typed Kung Fu, it was weird. <laughs> Kung fuck. Kung fuck. I'm like, no! I did this to myself! <laughs> so having finished his tour of the old world, the prince, now grown up, heads to... Uh, rendezvous with his mother and they have a big hug because they've been separated since he was a kid and then she returns to him his birthright the sword of his father and the white uh his white gi and then the prince is dad dead no okay just super old imprisoned by oh at this point okay so he the prince trains with the sword and before he's ready to come home and return and free his people the people of his land are enslaved. The country is riddled with likenesses of Aku, and the emperor, like all of his subjects, has been put to work in the mines, though he's been tormented by Aku's evil minions more than anybody else. 
at one point he's like due to be punished and just in time the prince arrives and battles Aku's minions and defeats them easily. The emperor tells his son that Aku means to use the riches found in the mines to strengthen his powers and take over the entire world. And then the prince is like, no, I'm going to vanish Aku with the power of the sword. And his father is like, don't, the sword is just a tool. The true power lies in the hands that wield it. And also remember that evil is clever and deception is its most powerful weapon. And the prince sets off on horseback, promising his father not to fail him. But the emperor is worried, for he knows evil always finds a way. This is a man who locks his fucking door. Good. Even in the old times. Hey, everyone. Lock your fucking door. Yep. Yeah, so he arrives at uh, Aku's tower and reveals himself to be the son of the land and challenges Aku to reclaim it. Aku then boasts that no mortal weapon can harm him, but uh, the prince cuts him with the sword, and he recognizes the sword and the prince's heritage from the smell of his blood. Which and is... I bet he was very dramatic about the. Cut. Oh, he just sent me back. Ah! Oh yeah, Aku is such a good he's villain. So he's dramatic. so good, but he's so much <laughs> always at every time. <laughs> like he's definitely one of the best characters in. Like, Samurai yes, Jack. it's so good. There's that one episode that's him telling the fairy tales to a bunch of kids because he doesn't like that they like Samurai Jack more than him. <laughs> and he's, the Samurai Jack is the villain in all of them. It's like Red Riding Hood and Samurai's the bears. I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> this is so dumb. So, uh... Aku says, neither the sword nor emperor had the power to slay him forever, and neither will the prince. And then with those words, they battle, and it's pretty fucking intense, and it's super awesome to watch. Uh, Aku is a shapeshifter, so he shapeshifts all throughout the fight, trying but failing to get the upper hand. Uh, The prince then prepares to finish Aku and throws his sword into the air, piercing Aku and trapping him within the sword. And then he's basically like going to immediately going to defeat him and Aku's a shadow that's lying right basically below him where he's about to stab him this is great with visuals <laughs> it's not so great with anything else blah 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 he's very small and he looks like he's defeated and then he declares you might have beaten me now but I will destroy you in the future and the prince exclaims that there's no future for Aku but he disagrees and with a, sc- a sonic screech he tears open a portal through time and Gotta flings back, back to the jack, <laughs> back to the jack, back to the past. <laughs> jack. Bah, bah, bah. Oh, so good. <laughs> Fuck. That theme song. And like, I'm listening to it on the beginning and end Watch. of like a hundred <laughs> fucking episodes. And that's exactly fine. 60 something episodes. But yeah, so he gets he's in the future now. <laughs> thrown into the future where uh, Aku is the supreme ruler of the planet. Supreme, supreme. <laughs> yeah, I didn't look at that quite right. Uh, and his evil is law. And then Aku promises that they will meet again, but the next time he will destroy the prince once and for all. So fuck, and like legit future, like more future than now. Gotta get back. Jack. <laughs> <laughs> yes Ugh, it's fucking so good uh, the next episode continues with the prince finally getting out of the portal and into the future and fucking nightmareville yep yeah and not like, good 
He doesn't fall into the future, like, in a place where it makes sense. He falls into the future on top of a bunch of flying goddamn cars. And also avoids uh, avoids being crushed by a trash compactor. And then... He did better than Thor when he fell to Earth. Oh, 1,000%. <laughs> if you're going to fall to Earth, this is the way to do it. Samurai Jack making all the superheroes look like bitches. <laughs> yeah, that should be mm-hmm. the slogan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he lands in basically perfect 10. <laughs> you know, he lands perfectly. <laughs> That joke made everything too much. I regret it. <laughs> uh, in front of some fucking alien teenagers who have been watching him, watching the whole thing in awe. And then they're like fucking amazed by him. They're like, Jack, you're so goddamn cool, Jack. Except for they don't say goddamn. I was going to say, do they know his name? No, they don't know his name. They just call him Jack. And then he takes on Jack. At oh, mm-hmm. I didn't remember that at I all. I know, me neither. But yeah, so they're they're like, oh my god, I was gonna say that's not a very Asian name. No, it's not. It's not because it isn't his name. He's like, "Uh, what's going on? Who's in charge? And they're like, "Uh, you're in the central hub of Sector D of the city, and Aku is the leader. And he looks around, and Aku is fucking everywhere. (laughs) And then the teens direct him to a bar so that he can get a drink and calm his nerves. It's a head scratcher if they're teens who are like, hey, you you look like you need a drink. Um, but that's fine. Whatever. So it's mindfuck after mindfuck with this. Uh, turns out all the people in the bar are aliens and robots and shit like that. Uh, so uh, when Aku said he was going to conquer the world, he didn't just mean ours. He meant a bunch of worlds because I wouldn't share. Seems like a lot of work. <laughs> I'm tired. He's very powerful, so he doesn't have to do a lot of it. He ends up getting into a fight with someone who is offended by his staring, and he tries to apologize, uh, but it doesn't work, and he is forced to literally disarm the alien. No arms. Sorry, friend. I have no hands. I have no hands! <laughs> Only for the injured alien's friends to join the fight, so he ends up fighting a bunch of aliens and defeating them. And while all of this is happening, there are some... Canine archaeologists speaking with an alien warrior, hoping that he will f- help them fight against that coup. The alien calls them a bunch of idiots and walks off, and then they turn towards the prince who has disarmed all of the rest of the aliens. Literally. Some of them literally. Not all of them literally. Yeah. I can't remember. We're just going to go with all of them. It was all better. of them literally. <laughs> no, ha- no arms for anyone anymore. You drink with straws. So Rothschild, the leader of the archaeologist, invites the prince to sit with them so they can explain to him where he is and ask for his help. Uh, so they introduce themselves. There's a bulldog, a Scottish terrier, and a dachshund. I always feel like I'm putting an extra, like, three syllables in there. <laughs> I know that's wrong. Poopies. Yeah. Cute poops. And uh, they explain to the prince that Aku has ruled the Earth for thousands of years, while extending his reach towards other galaxies to increase his wealth and power over resources. And because of that, there's been a bunch of, like, a whole menagerie of weird life forms that have come to Earth, and most of them are fucking criminals. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, and they're like, oh, you're actually from the past when he's like, well, when I, where I came from, dogs only 
barked. And they're like, what? Really? Oh, my God. Tell us more about dogs in history. <laughs> they're the best and they can't walk on floors. It's cute. <laughs> they're very slippy. They're very slippy. <laughs> so the prince decides to help them. And I think I remember them. Now that you're if you saw them, them, you would immediately yeah. remember them. Uh, he introduces himself as Jack, the name the teams called him earlier. Uh, as they leave, unbeknownst to them, a spy of Akus overheard their conversation, Always. of course, and went to give the Shogun of Sorrows himself the information. The Shogun of Sorrows is definitely something that Aku came up for himself. Of course it was. But Loser. also, I feel like he's, you know, kind of earned it. No, no one earns it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so he becomes infuriated and is like, somebody fucking opposed me. And then he's like, it's Jack. So I guess this is where I dumped him in the future. Okay, well, I guess I'm going to send an army of fucking beetle drones to go fuck with him. And uh, at the ex- excavation site. Why we- wouldn't he dump him into a volcano? A couple reasons, I think. This is my theory. Lack of foresight is a big, big one. <laughs> but also... Wanting something that actually does fight against him to give him some sort of purpose. Mm-hmm. And maybe to want to be like, I can actually defeat you. Yeah. Like, I'm going to actually fight you and defeat mm-hmm. you. It's a pride thing, no matter how Ugh. you cut it. I know. Men and monsters. <sighs> monsters, you're supposed to be better than this. Come on now. <laughs> But yeah, so uh, he goes back with the archaeologists and they plan for all the beetle drones that are coming to attack him and also the rest of them. Jack teaches them how to set traps and use their strengths. He finds some of the jewels that the dogs have been mining can be used as weapons. He turns them into arrows and spears. And then they help create a set of armor for him. And then he sets everything up and waits for the morning. The beetle drones enter the valley and the traps activate and fuck with a bunch of them. And then he goes and rushes into combat. Uh, Jack I just want to be as cool as Samurai Jack. Me too. Oh my God. Aspirations. <laughs> he ends up fighting all of these drones and like knocks a bunch of them down and destroys them and shit like that and ignites a bunch of them and... After all of the, like, traps and everything has been... After all of the traps, like, went off? Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> There's an actual word for it, and I can't come up with it right now. And that's fine. Uh, Jack is still immensely outnumbered from all... Uh, and all out of traps. Left with only him and his sword, he keeps fighting at it and flies into a rage, savagely cutting down all of the beetle drones that come into his path and getting covered with black oil as a result. Uh, a lot of yelling. There's a, a fair amount of yelling. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> He's not as much of a yeller, though. It's <sighs> like when you watch Ninja Warrior versus American Ninja Warrior. <clears throat> the American people have to yell about literally everything. Whereas, the, Of course we do. We're fucking dramatic. Exactly. Whereas, like, like the Japanese people are, like, quietly cheering as somebody holds on to something with their fingertips. That is literally <laughs> impossible. I'm like, Okay. <laughs> We're making a big deal out of the little bitches over here, but that's fine. I don't know. Dragon Ball Z has told me that that's true. Japanese people yell a lot too. Those were aliens. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> so he gets covered in black oil. The remaining drones are like, um, maybe we'll go back to Aku. And Jack's like, no, there is no escape. And he cuts all of them fucking down and destroys the last Don't you bunch. wish Batman was like that? 
I wish Batman was like Samurai Jack in almost every entity. But also, we're dealing with robots, so it's a little easier to cut everybody down. No, I guess you're right. Mm -hmm. They are robots. I was thinking there are weird Martian things, but they're not. No, all the like weird Aku bots are like mostly bots. Uh, So Aku has been watching the battle. uh, So basically, Jack is like, yo, fuck you guys and destroys them all. Uh, Aku has been watching the battle the whole time and promises Jack, which this is the first time he refers to him as Jack, that he will destroy him and that the time and place will be of his choosing, which shit. Well, that's not great. Uh, from then on, it's more like every episode is a different world. So it's not like all in order and episodic. It's more you could watch any episode and it could have been from any time. And they did that on purpose because they knew that how Cartoon Network was, some t- especially at the time, a lot of times things would air out of order or it would be like a weird like two weeks or you would watch a weird marathon and they would put a bunch of things in a weird order. And they were like, we can't have him be like very dark and very light, like from here mm-hmm. to here. So he has to be sort of even keeled yep. through the whole thing. Um, and be mostly standalone episodes. Exactly. Basically, the plot is minimalistic in that there's no um, little to no overarching plot beyond Jack struggles to return to the past. Um, there's some sense of continuity in that there are some like episodes later where you see people that you'd seen before or like, like he frees these woolly mammoth beasts and then you see them a bunch of times in the future. But most of the episodes are self-contained. So Jack either has to investigate a means of returning to the past. He runs into something completely fucking unrelated or he has to fend off a coup's attempts on his life. It's hard to pick, like, favorite episodes because they're all so fucking good. Mm -hmm. Um, As far as probably important episodes, uh, there's an episode where Aku sends a ton of fucking bounty hunters after Jack. And after defeating them all, Aku is wondering who who he can send who can fight against Jack's particular fighting style. And then that gives him an idea. So after that... Back in the forest, a furious Jack defeats the last of the bounty hunters and screaming, who else wants some, in his rage. When no challengers uh, remain, he's finally able to rest. And however, as he's about to leave, the strap on his sandals breaks, and this proves to be the final straw. And I feel like we've literally all been there. Yes. Actually, specifically with the strap on a sandal breaking, (laughs) because if you've ever been out and about and your strap on your sandal breaks, you're like, what the but it's the worst. It is the worst. There's nothing you can do about it. And now just, you don't have shoes. Now you just have one shoe. And you're like, well, what the fuck am I supposed to goddamn do? So he hurls the broken sandal at one of the electronic wanted posters with his name on it, hanging on a nearby tree. And suddenly it basically turns into like energy starts surging around it. And it turns into a new entity, which is just like the weird, angry part of Jack his dark side that was born from Aku's dark powers. And Jack's like, um, what? (laughs) And Mad Jack explains that uh, Aku created him to destroy Jack. And basically they're incredibly well matched because they're They're the same fucking person. It's like when they like, they have characters fight their shadows. Exactly. Or or their clone or something like that. (laughs) And as the battle draws on, both of the Jacks become more disheveled and their crossing blades cause sparks 
which causes the forest to catch on fire. Uh, eventually their blades cross at one point and Jack sees his eyes reflected and they look just like Mad Jack. And he realizes that Jack was bo- Mad Jack was born from his inner rage and he just stops fighting. And uh, the forest fires start to slowly die out. And Jack is basically like sitting there <laughs> meditating and is like, no, you, you're created from my rage. And if that rage is gone, then you're not going to exist. And Mad Jack is like, no, fuck you. He doesn't say fuck you. But he goes and tries to rush at him and is unable to strike and basically, like, fades away into nothing. And Jack is able to seal Mad Jack away with him himself. And then as he gets up to leave, he looks off into the distance, knowing Aku is watching him and says, I know you're watching. These tricks are starting to annoy me. (laughs) the finger to a gun. <laughs> um, another fun episode is there's the one where he's crossing a seemingly end- endless bridge and he runs into the Scotsman, who is a robust, if impulsive, stereotypical Scottish warrior who wields an enchanted sword and has a gun leg because that's fucking sick. Why the fuck not? Because why wouldn't you? Um, and they both want to pass, but it's basically a one person bridge and it's a fucking long one and neither of them wants to turn around and back down. Of course. Uh huh. And it's like very clear that it's like neither of them is uncertain of their masculinity, but they also want to be the better one. Mm hmm. Man. <sighs> so Jack tries to make several suggestions around this and is like, I could just like go under you, under the bridge. And he's like, You trying to look up my kilt? It's like that sort of thing. It just gets more and more ridiculous and their argument turns into a fight that causes both of them to fall off the bridge. They end up getting handcuffed to each other because Aku is uh, has placed bounties on both of them and then they have to end up joining forces to escape and form a new, if stupidly competitive, friendship. Of course. Mm-hmm. So the show was only, it ran for four seasons uh, and then didn't really have a finale. The last uh, episode of the fourth season kind of plays like any of the others. Jack hasn't gotten back to the past yet. Things are still going on, which is pretty common among shows where there's like one random person being thrown out of time, but still. So um, if he was going to ever finish his quest, he had to come back. But basically at the end of the fourth season, all of the people who were making it were pretty burnt out. They were moving on to the new Star Wars... Clone Wars was done by uh, Gendy Tartakovsky. And he basically was like, I don't want to rush out an ending for this. So they just let the fourth season kind of finish quietly. Uh, So season five opens up in 2017. Mm -hmm. I remember that. 14 years after the last episode. And it has been 50 years. And Jack doesn't age because basically he was pulled out of time. But the toil of his journey has led him to slip into hopeless despair and madness. Samurai Jack always kind of walked the fine line between macabre meditation on grief and regret, social satire, and an overt screwball comedy. And in the new season, uh, you basically get the deep end of all of that fucking shit. You explore the growing madness of a man kept out of time and place and self for more than 50 years, stuck in a nightmare of death and escape. Uh, Samurai Jack has very clear PTSD, 
And Tartakovsky brings this to us not through internal monologue or, like, smarmy sidekicks, but, like, hallucinatory hellscapes of corpses and slaughter of a literal schizophrenic projection of Jack's self-hate and pity. So Mad Jack is kind of there, just, like, Mm -hmm. over his shoulder, talking shit to him at all times. He sets a fire and sees his dad, who's like, you've forgotten about us, and it's like... No, I haven't. (laughs) It's like a lot of this is people who are like, if you were honorable, you would do the honorable thing. Yeah. Just end it. It's like, yikes. Yikes. Yeah. Yikes. So basically at this point, Aku has destroyed all existing time portals. um, And he's... Aku is also pretty distressed at the prospect of battling Jack forever and has stopped pursuing him directly. Mm -hmm. He's doing his own therapy for himself. So it's Aku sitting in a chair and Aku as the therapist. (laughs) Not how it works. That's not how that works, sir. That is not how that works. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also unknown to Aku, Jack has lost his sword and is kind of a mess. Meanwhile, the there, there's a big fucking cult for Aku, because of course, because <laughs> that's not shocking. That's how anyway. cults work. Yep. And there is a set of fraternal septuplet girls. The daughters of Aku are born from Aku's essence into the a cult of female Aku worshippers, and they are raised as assassins with the sole purpose of killing Jack. They find an overwhelmed Jack, who ends up fighting back, and he kills the first one and is struck by it, because at this point, everything that Aku has sent after him has been robot. Yep. He's never had to kill a human, and is pretty fucked up about it. And he's already pretty broken and fucked up anyways. So he remembers about a time where, um, when he was a child, his dad had to... Basically, his dad gave bad guys the choice to either run away or die Mm -hmm. and he gives um the choice to the daughters basically is like what you've been told is wrong a coup is evil it doesn't have to be this way and then eventually ends up battling them each one-on-one and killing all but one of them who is ashy the eldest womp womp Mm -hmm. and then they get swallowed by a monster Um, so in the battles of, <laughs> you know, of a monster as one does. that swallows them both, Ashley's like, yay, you're dead. And Jack's like, I've been in monsters before. This isn't my first fucking rodeo. Jack basically ties her up with her, like, glaive that's on a, a chain. He ties her up with her weapon and then, like, kind of throws her into a backpack so that he can save her and also fight his way out of this monster. So she's basically backpacked on him and being like, you're scum, you're evil, you're the reason that everything is fucking terrible. And he's like, (laughs) and she's like trying to kill him while they're both, while he's trying to save them both and all that fucking shit. And it's like, (laughs) Um, eventually they do get out of the monster and like they're both free and uh, she goes to kill him. And uh, she sees a ladybug and remembers back to her childhood. Basically, like, I feel like their childhood is like Damian Wayne childhood. You were bred to fight someone. Mm -hmm. It's not great. And, like, all kindness had been bred out of you. So she, there's one time where she's like, 
a little kid and she's fighting against one of her sisters and there's a ladybug that flies in and they stop fighting and she tries to like rescue it. And then her mother takes it and crushes it in front of her. Rude. I know. Saying that it doesn't fit into a coup's like world. Rude. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, in real life, Jack holds out his hand and the ladybug flies and lands on it. And then he just kind of like smiles at it and then it flies away. And she's like, Oh, Maybe my worldview has been fucked from the start. <laughs> oh, no. Ashley asks Jack to prove his claims of Aku's evil nature, and they basically journey around and to see a bunch of places that were destroyed by Aku, and um, they end up having to save some children who were being mind-controlled. And, like, Ashley destroys the mind-control device, and all of the children collapse, and Jack is basically like... and thinks that they're all dead and then um goes and follows a spectral figure that has been like kind of haunting him on the outside but basically he follows this spectral figure into the fog ashy comes back and the children are all coming to and they're fine and shit like that and she's like oh shit well gotta go find jack so she searches for jack and she comes across a lot of the different people in his past they come across the dogs and they're like, there's one old dog and there's like several lots and lots of little bun dogs. <laughs> Literally most of the people that they hit in the first season, they like hit the second season. And it's like, Jack doesn't have any hope at this point, but he's been the hope for all of these people this whole time. He's the only reason that they're still fighting. So she goes and does end up finding Jack at this uh, graveyard surrounded by the spirits of great warriors. And they're basically like, the great warriors are like, you have to face the consequences of your failure or be dishonored. So he's preparing to commit seppuku and Ashi fights uh, the omen dude and is basically pleading to Jack to not lose hope and telling him of all the lives that he saved, including her own and the children from the previous episode. And then just as the specter is going to defeat her, Jack does like find himself and defeats the specter. And then he tells Ashi it's time to find his sword. So basically the reason that he lost his sword was he was fighting a coup at the top uh, of a mountain at the last time portal in existence. And then uh, Aku just destroys the portal. And it's like, oh. he literally jumps into the portal. Aku reaches into it, grabs him by his fucking gi, tosses him out and destroys the portal. And Rude. then laughs in his fucking face. Rude. Yeah. And then so these like cutie little goats that had been following him up the mountain. Aku makes some monsters and Jack defeats them. And as soon as he defeats them, they're these cutie little goats. And he's like fucking heartbroken. So he like throws the sword away from him because he can't fucking deal. And then a big pillar falls and knocks the sword into the pit that the portal had been in. And everything got fucking shitty after that. So um, that's how that happened. And he's basically like, the sword has abandoned me because of my anger. Like, it's only there for... You have to be truly good in order to wield it. And I haven't been there recently. I've been too fucked up. So he's like, I've got to do this on my own. He sits and meditates and ends up having to fight um, against basically Mad Jack, who's like we deserve this and this and this and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, 
shut the fuck up. I'm trying to have goddamn tea with this cute little old monk who's helping me figure out my spiritual balance. After he gets rid of Majak, he is transported to a heavenly realm where the gods Ra, Rama, and Odin, who are the original monks who had made his sword, give the sword back and uh, restore his appearance from the last four seasons. They're like, hey... You lost this, buddy. We got you. We also are going to give you a good shave and a haircut. (laughs) Because everybody feels better after they take a shower. Don't you feel better? (laughs) So yeah, Jack returns to the material world and he and Ashley go to confront Aku. During the time that they're like figuring out their shit and trying to find Aku, uh, she and Jack do end up bonding but Jack ends up abandoning her and then she follows him and he explains that he left her behind out of fear of losing her to a coup as he did many of his other loved ones. Um, and now she reassures Jack that together they'll defeat a And then um, a appears and is like, Hey, heard you lost your sword. And Jack's like, bitch, I got it back. <laughs> <laughs> So as Aku starts to leave, because he's like, maybe we oh, won't just have this fight. <laughs> JK, I'm going like, to go. Wait, it smells like me around here, which is weird, right? That's weird. It smells like me. So uh, he ends up figuring out that it turns out that Ashi is his daughter because she was like the daughter of the essence of Aku, which I was like, oh man, I hope that's not Aku fucking somebody. And then they show you that it is not. He just pours some like essence into something and one of the cultists ends up drinking it and getting pregnant that way. It was like, thank God. But also... I mean, that's horrible. And she had seven daughters, so she got really pregnant. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Seven septuplets. It wasn't... It was all at once. That that demon baby shit ain't nothing to fuck with. Hey, don't join cults. Don't join cults. <laughs> or else you have demon babies. Mm-hmm. Seven of them at once. Yeah. So because she is a true daughter of Aku, Aku is able to possess her um, and transform her into like a version of himself. And forces her to fight Jack. And Jack's like, you should resist. And she's trying, but she's not able to do so. And when... Like my mom crushed a butterfly. What do you want from me? I, I've been a person for like 30 goddamn <laughs> Look, seconds. Look, I need actual therapy, okay? I need so much therapy. I need Bucky-level therapy. <laughs> and like the first time that they go, all the like little assassins go out and are finding Jack, they like see real life forms, like things out in the world and they're like this is oh, a thing this Wait, is what i mean we'd been told that there would be things but also like what mm. i imagine it's like for people who've never seen snow before yeah or the ocean i know <laughs> i don't think about that much but like <laughs> i know it seems like impossible but it actually is a thing that some people haven't seen the ocean so when Jack does wound Ashi, she briefly comes back to her senses and desperately begs Jack to kill her, and he's unwilling to do so, so he drops to his knees and lays his sword in defeat, and then Aku steals the sword and holds it up triumphantly. And then the last episode starts with everyone is, like, all of your people, your um, allies from previously, are all gathered around their TVs, 
because Aku is doing a live broadcast from his fortress because he's tacky as fuck. Of course. I love him. Um, and he announces to the world that he's captured Jack and isolated his sword. And then he's like, give me a few minutes because I haven't. Now that I actually get to kill you, I'm not sure how to do it. And he's like shaping his hand into several different like pointy things. <laughs> of course. Is this good? I feel like this is good, but it might be too extra. Is this like, I'm like, oh God, you're so fucking good. And then he finally decides that instead Ashi should kill him. Of course. Obviously. Of course. That was your obvious choice, Aku, but whatever. As Ashi is about to stab the samurai, um, that's when all of Jack's allies start to crash through and rally, rally to his defense. Rally puppies! His allies. I'm rally. assuming his puppies are there. The puppies are there. Um, turns out our Scotsman had like 400 hot daughters and they're all very <laughs> of strong. Of course they did. Yeah, of course. Of fucking course. <laughs> Earlier in this season, uh, the Scotsman gets squished by a coup and turns into a ghost because he has a haunted sword. Because that's how you do things. Um, so at one point he ends up showing up and is like, oh yeah, take your pick. And then lists off like 40 fucking names. <laughs> and then Jack's like, wait, I think I'm already interested in somebody. And he points at Ashley, who is like a literal fucking monster. And <laughs> like, ah! <laughs> so they free Jack. Uh, a coup overpowers them and Ashi prevents him from recovering his sword. Uh, while dodging Ashi's attacks, Jack ends up freeing her from Aku's possession by telling her that he loves her. And then she's, Chris. I know. Uh, <laughs> and then she discovers, though it's like the one person that he's told he loved in like a long fucking time. It's so gross. I'm not a fan, but you know, what are you going <laughs> to fucking do? I see where it's coming from. So he tells her he loves her. She then is freed from the possession. And then she's like, I have all of Aku's powers because he try keeps trying to attack her and she just shapeshifts. When he mm -hmm. shapeshifts, he tries to laser eye her. She just laser eyes him back. And she's like, fuck this shit and makes a time portal and sends them both back to the goddamn there past. There we go. A girl who was actually fucking thinking. You see original Samurai Jack gets sucked into the future, and then future uh, Samurai Jack pops right back in and stabs a coup, fucking kills him. It's beautiful. Everything's wonderful. Finally freeing his family and creating a brighter future. So Jack and Ashi prepare to get married, but as Ashi is walking down the aisle, she suddenly collapses and disappears, informing Jack with her last breath that because Aku was killed, it invalidates her existence. Basically, if she didn't have... There's no reason for her to be existing because she doesn't have, like, a father anymore. There's no that half. Can and you then, imagine if that was how it worked? I feel like it only works that way because of time travel. Wait, which Haku was dead? Now I'm confused. So he kills they the kill past, past Haku? But past Haku means future Haku is dead. Okay. No, yeah. I get it now. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, because she can't exist because he didn't exist to create her in the future. Exactly. Um, so he Jack goes off alone to grieve for a while, and uh, he does find closure as he watches a ladybug that flies back to him and lands He has 70 hand. fucking hot Scottish babes. No, those are all in the future. Oh, he's back in the past, too. Gotta get back, back to the past. Samurai Jack. Jack, 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 Jack. <laughs> Watch out. 
<laughs> so that's where it ends. So, I mean, if you're a person who's looking for a series to watch, I really think that Samurai Jack is one of those series that has something for everybody. Phil Lamar, who's the voice of Samurai Jack, and also Hermes Conrad, (laughs) was basically like, of all of my shows, it's the one that I know I can show to anybody, and they'll, any person will find something in it. It's true, but also, every person should hopefully find something in Futurama as well. I hope so. Because that is also one of the Mm -hmm. best, in a completely different way. (laughs) One of them is art, and the other one is commentary. Yes. (laughs) But yeah, so that is Samurai that Jack. Great. Gotta get back. Back to the past Samurai Jack. Watch out! <laughs> Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmo Show and the PCC Multiverse. People are just losing their minds trying to consume Marvel products right now, and I don't blame them. This is some of the best entertainment you can get on TV and big screen right now. If something's going to be successful or not, they look at the mentions, they look at the likes, they look at the retweets and the tweets and the subtweets and the tweet tweets, and they look at all of that to say, okay, this is actually going to garner a lot of attention. Catch our shows on Worldwide Radio seven days a week and right here on the ESO Network. All right, so today I am going to talk about Clue. Oh! <laughs> oh my god! I literally can't believe that we haven't talked about Clue yet. Yes. Brittany is obsessed. Yes, so I'm specifically talking about the board game, too. Yes. yes. Which, I love the movie, but this is Both specifically good, about... Yes. But they are different entities. Yes. My sources are Wikipedia, Fandom, and History.com, and of course... I've played Clue a few times. If you've ever played Brittany in Clue. I'm super into it. She's very good. She doesn't need to look at everything to remember all of the rooms and stuff. So, and she also just remembers all the things. So she is gonna fucking beat you. And it's really annoying, but you still have to play with her because you like her, I guess. Clue's fine. I like Clue too. But it's funny because I think I've played Clue with you probably like, four or five times and you've won like at least four of those five times and that's probably five times i love clue we'll definitely have to make sure some reason it didn't come with me to nevada i don't mm-hmm. know why but we'll definitely make sure that we'll it have does. to start making lists yes all right so cluedo known as clue in north america mm-hmm. is a murder mystery game for three to six players and it was created in 1943 by Anthony E. Pratt what? from Birmingham, England. Oh, my God. Yes. The game was first manufactured by Waldingtons in the UK in 1949. Since then, it has been relaunched and updated several times and is currently owned and published by the American Game and Toy Company, Hasbro. The object of the game is to, ter- to determine who <coughs> murdered the game's victim, where the crime took place, and which weapon was used. So each player assumes the role as one of the six suspects and attempts to deduce the correct answer by strategically moving around the board, representing the rooms of a mansion, and collecting clues about the circumstances of the murder from each other players. Rich each people, other players. right? Yes. 
Yeah, and they're all... Well, no, some of them are rich. No, no, it's just they're in a rich person's house. Oh, yeah. Which is, yes, of course, where I'm... Yeah. You don't have a billiards room. You do not. Or any of those other rooms that a I don't know. conservatory. Oh, God. <laughs> we'll get into all the rooms, too. Don't you worry. <laughs> that um, face I was talking about where you have to <laughs> make that face to make that accent. Yep. <laughs> the conservatory. <laughs> Fuck you. It's real, though. Okay, so numer- <laughs> numerous games, books, a film, television series, and a musical have been released as a part of the Cluedo franchise. Oh. Several spinoffs have been released featuring various extra characters, weapons, and rooms, or different gameplay. The original game is marked as the classic detective game, and various spinoffs are all distinguished by different slogans. The less classic. Mm-hmm. In 2008, Cluedo Discover the Secrets was created, which changes to board gameplay and characters as a modern spinoff, but it was criticized in the media and by fans for the original game, aka me. me. I didn't like it. Um, and then Cluedo the Classic Just Mystery seems Game. why. Yeah, it was uh, reintroduced in 2012, returning Pratt's classic formula, but also adding a few different variations. So yeah, you if you want a specific version, you have to literally find it. So don't just go to the toy store and buy any version, because it might not be the one you, you want. <laughs> so the British musician, Anthony Pratt, was watching murder mystery scenarios unfold in European country mansions where he played piano long before that board game became a global multi-million seller and was introduced in the Toy Hall of Fame. This is the best backstory yep. I've literally so ever was heard. taking mental notes as guests in their elegant homes played out drastic crimes involving uh, different shrieking and falling dead to the floor and all those crazy things. Oh my so, God. There were murder mystery games happening like they do now when you go to like a murder mystery party. He's just the pianist who's like... And he's just sitting there in the background taking notes. Occasionally (laughs) making a dramatic dun-dun. Yep. And this is where he came up with one of the best horror games of all time. That's so cute. Yes. And then in 1944, Anthony E. Pratt applied for a patent for his invention for the murder mystery themed game originally called Murder! Exclamation point. (laughs) Shortly after, <laughs> Pratt and his wife, Elva Pratt, who had helped him design the game, presented it to Waddington's executive, Norman Watson, who immediately purchased it and provided the trademark name Cluedo. So Cluedo is a play on Clue and Ludo, Ludo being Latin for I play, and a common British term for the game Parcheesi, which is another one of my favorites. I didn't know that. I also, love Parcheesi. The- there's a character in Harry Potter named Ludo Bagman, who's oh, the game's, really? like, head. Yep. Well, it stands for uh, I play in Latin. We've talked about Parcheesi. Yes. I, I don't know Parcheesi. literally anything yeah, about it's Parcheesi. Essentially I just know you're an trouble. old person. Trouble. Getting into trouble. Exactly. Trouble is very, it, trouble was based off of Parcheesi. It's fun getting into Parcheesi. No, not as catchy. But I also might like it because it also has cheesy in its That's name. That's very fair and <laughs> not surprising. No, all. but I grew up with Parcheesi. We had like a classic board game of Parcheesi and I loved Parcheesi. <sighs> You're cute. Okay. I grew up with card games because we didn't have any board games because oh. we were poor as fuck. 
you missed out on all the fun fun ones. Mall Madness and Mystery Oh no, Mansion. I played a bunch of them with other friends. With your friends, yeah. Yeah. There was a, we had a bunch of pretty pretty games. princess where even as a small child I was like, Give me the black necklace. All right. So um although the patent wasn't granted until nineteen forty seven Post-war shortages postponed the game's official United Kingdom launch until 1949. It was simultaneously licensed to Parker Brothers in the United States for a publication, where it was renamed Clue. Ah, uh, so they were like, our people are too stupid for this. Well, because the the Ludo part isn't and, and Percheesy wasn't common here in the States, so it didn't make sense for the United States. Still not Parcheesi. yet. <laughs> <laughs> then they made it trouble so that normal Americans would like it. Getting into trouble. Parcheesi is so much better. I'm just saying, we have to dumb everything down. <laughs> what about sorry? Is sorry essentially the same thing as trouble too? But you have a poppy thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think so. I think it's exactly the same. Sorry. <laughs> I'm like, the only thing that's good about that is the poppy thing. You know what game I just thought of? Mousetrap. <laughs> Just being an old game. I'm mad at you. <laughs> I think I played Mousetrap correctly like once and then just fucked around with it every other time. That's fair. So there were several differences between the original concept and the one initially published in 1949. In particular, Pratt's original designs called for 10 characters, one of whom was to be d- designated uh, the victim by a random drawing prior to the start of the game. Mm-hmm. These 10 included, but then eliminated, Mr. Brown, Mr. Gold, Miss Gray, and Mrs. Silver. Hmm. The character of Nurse White and Colonel Yellow were renamed Mrs. White and Colonel Mustard for the actual release. The game allowed to for you to play the eight remaining characters, providing the nine, sus- nine suspects in total. Originally, there were 11 rooms, including the eliminated gun room and cellar. And in addition, there were nine weapons, including the unused bomb, syringe, a shill... What? Just a bomb. bomb. It's just a fucking bomb. It's fine. A shillelagh? Shillelagh? It's a walking stick? Yes. Yes. Okay. Shillelagh? Yep. It's an Irish walking stick. Also, there's no way I would ever have gotten shillelagh out of that spelling because it ends in Mm L-A-G-H. A fireplace poker? What? Yeah. And then later, a used axe and poison. <gasps> I'm so I, bummed. I literally was like, I'm real sad these weren't used because those are awesome. And all I want is a syringe and some poison. And I love the idea of a fireplace poker. Yeah. So good. So good. Imagine having a it. small one. I know. I think I might put some of those in my Miss Scarlet shoots that I do when I run out of weapons because... I bet we could find a fireplace poker at some, like... At an antique shop or, yeah, goodwill-type dealie. Yeah, And then we could just have it around. I mean, you know, in case someone wants to break into Mm -hmm. my house, I'm going to stab you with a fireplace poker. If it's made out of iron, we can fight fairies with it, too. And ghosts. Oh, you're right. (laughs) Man, we're killing it. (laughs) Killing it! (laughs) Some of these unused weapons and characters do appear in later spin-off versions of the game. Some gameplay aspects were different as well. Notably, the remaining playing cards were distributed into the rooms to be retrieved rather than dealt directly to the players. Uh-huh. 
And players also had to land on another player in order to make suggestions about the player's character through use of special counter tokens. And once distinguished, the player can no longer make any more suggestions. They would just have to guess. Okay. Yeah, that seems super difficult. So I'm glad they were like, let's not do that. Very complicated. Seven-year-olds aren't going to get this. No. Um, There were minor differences, all of which were later updated by the game's initial release and remain essentially unchanged in the the standard classic detective game editions as well. So, like, they're small from the new to the old, but when you get a classic edition of the game, they're essentially the same. Nice. OG shit. Yes. The mythology used in earlier versions of Cluedo is remarkably similar to a traditional but little known American card game called The King of Hearts Has Five Sons, which I have never heard of before. But it sounds, it sounds like the title of a light novel. (laughs) It's true. Right? (laughs) And I'm dating all of them. That's the title of the light novel. <laughs> only. And I'm like, well, I guess just another page. Or it's just a manga. Yeah. It's, it's definitely just an anime title. It's a manhwa. The, like, <laughs> Korean ones. <laughs> Pratt, however, himself did deny this. And he said in uh, his inspiration was from the murder mystery parlor games that he used to play the piano at and watch. I mean, that's literally the perfect inspo. Yes. And then also in a, imagine having that job. I know. God damn it. <laughs> it would be so cool. Dun, dun, you get to be a musician who's like doing their fucking craft, <laughs> but you also get to watch a bunch of people have fun doing a murder mystery, also looking like goons. Yes. Because if you've ever watched people role play. Yes, it's true. Mm-hmm. I would love to do a murder mystery. I've never done one. I'll do it. I so I used to have a friend who would uh host Oh, that's fun. Yeah. They just came to one with me. Really? That's a lot of fun. Back in Massachusetts, I always wanted Mm -hmm. to go. So in um, 2009, they did an interview with his daughter, Marsha Davies, said that her father was an avid reader of murder fiction by Raymond Chandler and others. Certainly the game carries strong echoes of novels by... by Agatha Christie. Definitely read some. I took a murder... Not murder. I took a detective fiction class. Oh, that's fine. In college. It was so good. Do you ever read any Sherlock Holmes? No, I actually haven't read any Sherlock Holmes. It's, that shit is good, too. Yeah. Like, OG Sherlock Holmes is fun because it's just, like, a weird dude who's on coke selling <laughs> Like, literally, he's just, like, just doing a bunch of opium and then getting into mysteries. Let's and do I'm it. And I'm pretty weird. And also, here's my doctor friend who's here to be like, be a little less weird. Let's not, maybe not do that. <laughs> All right. So, like I said, said he was an avid reader of fiction like Raymond Chandler and others, such as things like Agatha Christie's 1942, The Body in the Library, which has a lot of same. Agatha Christie's. Yes, I read, I've read no, only no. one book of Agatha Christie's. I own one of them. I I've forget. read a couple. They but were, it, she's just fun. Yeah. He was fascinated by the criminal mind, said Davies. And then um, when, and then this is a quote, and when I was little, he was forever pointing out sites of famous murders to me. Which oh my God. So you want to be best followed. friends with him. I want to. Yes. 
I and literally same, said, like, he sounds like a like chill dude to hang I out just, with. Yeah, keep liking this dude more and more I read about him. Yeah. Yes, you seem, I wish I could have been your friend. This is your idol. He seems like he would be super fucking fun to hang out with. Yes. The fact that he, like, imagine, ugh. Just talk about murders with me. Talk about murders with me. While you play the piano. Also talk shit about all the people who were at the murder mysteries who were goons. Yes, but play the piano while you do it. Oh, (laughs) yeah. This is, you're getting married to this dude. (laughs) Let me put on a fancy dress and sit dramatically on your piano Mm -hmm. while we talk about murders. (laughs) That's all I want. Lounge. Yeah. God damn it. Okay. Just let me lounge on the piano. (laughs) So... Cluedo was originally marketed as the great new detective game upon its launch in 1949 in North America. A deal was quickly struck to license the great new Sherlock's home game from the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle estate. Advertising at the time suggested players would take on the guise of Sherlock Holmes following the path of the criminal. But you have to rub coke on your teeth. And your no. gums, not your teeth. That wouldn't. That, can you tell I don't do that? <laughs> Once again, Martha and I talk about drugs, and clearly have no idea how Me to do drugs. Me trying to brush my teeth with coke. Um, I didn't bring the toothbrush. <laughs> but there's no actual depictions of Holmes uh, that appears in the advertising or on the box. From 1950 until 1960s, the game was marketed as the Great Detective Game, at which time it became the Parker Brothers Detective Game. So with the launch of the U.S. 1972 edition, a television commercial showed uh, Holmes and Watson engaged in a particularly competitive game. Adjusting with the times in 1979, U.S. television commercials had a detective resembling the bumbling inspector Cluso from the popular Pink Panther film franchise at the mm-hmm. time and he's looking for clues. And then in 1986 the marketing slogan added classic detective game which persists through the 2002 to 2003 edition. So in the UK, Cluedo was marketed as the great detective game from the mid 50s until 2000, then it was rebranded as the classic detective game. However, in the mid-1950s, Waddingtons also adapted a Sherlock Holmes-type detective to adorn their box covers for a brief time, though unlike the U.S. editions, there was no acknowledgement that the character was actually the famous detective. Mm -hmm. But he probably wore that hat and smoked a pipe. And then in the 1980s, as in the U.S., Sherlock Holmes also appeared in TV advertising at the time, along with other classic detectives, such as Sam Spade, who I don't know. I'm guessing he's British. He's not British. He's actually American. Uh, I think he was in... (sighs) Just give me James Bond. He's not a detective. He's a spy. he's a spy. (laughs) Um, Sam Spade was in... The Peregrine Falcon. I have never heard of that before. It's a classic murder mystery, but it's like from the 50s, 40s, something like that. Is it a movie? Oh, now I have to look up Sam Spade and make sure that I'm not talking out of my butt. (laughs) Sam Spade. The Maltese Falcon. A Peregrine Falcon is an actual type of falcon. Is it a dog falcon? No, it's a a, um, statue. Maltese is a type of dog. That makes sense. A Maltese dog is a little stupid furry dog. Oh, cute. Yeah, played by Humphrey Bogart in the movie. All right, so... (laughs) The Peregrine Falcon. (laughs) Peregrine Falcon is literally just a type of falcon. (laughs) 
<laughs> she's an actual falcon. <laughs> it's literally a species of fucking falcon. <laughs> cool. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Hold on. <laughs> Everything is fine. All right, so... Parker Brothers and Waddingtons each produced their own unique editions between 1949 and 1992. And then Hasbro purchased both companies in the early 1990s. Dang. But continued to produce unique editions for each market until 2002 to 2003, when the current edition of Pluto slash Clue was first released. At this time, Hasbro produced a unified product across the markets. The game was then localized with regional differences in spelling and name conventions. Yes. (laughs) It sounded like you said Hasbro instead of Hasbro. Like when people spell out burrow the whole way. (laughs) With an extra O. (laughs) Hasbro. God damn it. God damn it. All right. So during Cluedo's long history, eight unique Clue editions were published in North America. 1949, 1956, 1960, 1961, 1963, 1972, 1982, 1996, and then 2002. Including miniaturized travel editions. Right? Where they have like the little magnets so that they don't fall off. off in the car. That's so cute. Yep. However, only three distinct editions of Cluedo were released in the UK, the longest, which lasts 47 years from its introduction in 1949 until its first successor in 1996. The eighth North American... 1949 to 1996. The eighth version, the eighth North American and fourth UK editions constitute the current shared game design. International versions occasionally develop their own unique designs for specific editions. However, most draw on the designs and art from from either the US or the UK editions. And in some cases, mixing both elements while localizing others, specifically suspect portraits. So in July 2008, Hasbro released a revamped look for Clue called Clue Discover the Secrets. This Ooh. new version of... Sorry. It seems spooky. <laughs> this new version of the game offered changes in the gameplay and characters and their backstories. Hmm. In July 2016, Hasbro replaced Mrs. White with the new character Dr. Orchid. Okay. Represented by an orchid pink piece. Okay. I think this was part of the problems I was having when I was trying to find the old ones. I'm like, what are these weapons like, and characters? I don't orchid? know. Doctor yep. Orchid? Is yes. it a lady doctor? Yes. That's good yes. at least. I think they wanted to refine her, make her a doctor as opposed to just a maid. I like that. To like empower a it woman. Makes sense. Piece. Because well, the only sense. two female pieces they have is like sexy Miss Scarlet and then a maid. So yeah. they wanted to make her well, yeah. especially since when you said in the in the original she was like a fucking nurse, which yeah, Nurse White is so much more interesting yes. than Mrs. White. Yes, I agree. So I get that. I think um, that makes a lot of sense. And, and then, I like a pink piece because yes, I'm right. that person. <laughs> in the current standard edition, Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Peacock has a new game opening opportunity as her starting square is one step closer to the billiard room. 
I'll get more into detail about that later. The squared off door to the conservatory makes the room harder for Mr. Green to reach as an, as an opening move and increases the distance between the billiard and the conservatory, right? Cause it was a bunch. It was four. Now it's five. Oh, okay. Um, and then the addition removes the side door to the hall, possibly for aesthetics to increase the difficulty for Mr. Plum or to remove an error. Did you know it was four before? Yes. I can picture it in my brain. It's the two small I get it. I totally side. get it. I just wish I could. I don't have my brain. My brain doesn't work like that. Or I could picture exactly how that looks. It's the single hallway. Yeah. And it has the side door. And it's one, two, three, four. And then you can go in. That's fascinating that your brain works like yeah. that. Yeah. I can yeah. see it in my brain. That's. Oh I my can, God. I can't like see all the exact pieces. But there but are like, parts. I, like, I can, and, and I know the super basic. I know the layout. Yeah, so, like, you probably couldn't fill out a map of the United States and put all the states in the oh, right place, but you know where not. every room is in the yes. fucking clue. And close to probably how many spaces are in between them. Damn. I don't think it's, I doubt it's exact, but I, it's like, It's probably yeah. really fucking close. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's weirdly impressive. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really... Interesting, specific thing to know. No wonder you're so fucking good. Because you're like, oh, well, I just move this many spaces <laughs> to this, and then I'll be able to make I actually do also talk about strategy later for the you game. bitch. <laughs> Things I won't learn from. <laughs> Whereas I'm like, oh, right, clue. I'm excited. And then I'm like, oh, no. I have to think about things. <laughs> Literally, the thought process that goes through my brain anytime. I play Clue ever. <laughs> Clue! Neato, Bandito. How do I fucking play this game? <laughs> I know I put a bunch of stuff in an envelope. And I panic about it for a lot. <laughs> I know I'm wrong about a lot of things and I don't do well about it. Cool. <laughs> there, is a, there is a process to Clue. It makes sense there's that a there's process. a process because I never do a process I don't know and I do how a bad I got job into, every time. Like, the fact that I got into true crime so much later is ridiculous because I've obviously always been into true it's crime. It's very weird because, <laughs> like, like, you should have been into it way before me and I've been into it since I was, like, a dumb child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's, like, in your blood. Yeah. Dingus. What it is. Uh, the suspect's appearances and the interior design of Dr. Black's slash Mr. Body's mansion changed oh. for each edition. The weapons underwent relatively minor changes. So, yeah, the UK version was Dr. Black and Y'all the American version is, is Mr. Body with two Ds. Um, <laughs> yeah, body, yaddy, yaddy. The weapons went under relatively minor changes, with the only major design, major redesign occurring in the fourth 1972 U.S. edition, which was adopted by the second 1996 U.K. edition, and remains a standard configuration across all of classic detective game versions since. Okay. (laughs) A lot to take in, right? (laughs) The artwork for the previous U.S. editions tended to reflect the current popular style of the time they were released. The earlier U.K. editions were more artistically stylized themes. And then from 1972 and on, the U.S. editions presented lush box cover art depicting the six suspects in various candid poses within the room of the mansions. 
And the UK would finally adopt the style in the third release in 2000, prior to which Cluedo boxes depicted uh, basic representations of the context. And these lavish box art illustrations have since become a hallmark of the game and have been copied by numerous licensed variants, which play homage to Clue, such as the Scooby-Doo one we saw where they're all in that lavish. I always have the very much the box in my brain and they're always very pretty oh, yeah. and it's super <sighs> fine art and they all look super posed. posed. They all have this accent. Yes. Um, <laughs> I hate this. So that's all that background info. I learned a lot from it. I hope you guys did too. Yeah. But in case you've never played Clue before, you're a nerd. <clears throat> Listener Panda. <clears throat> what? <laughs> She was here. Remember we were talking about it? I forgot. Yeah. I think I made probably the same reaction both times. Yeah. But it's so And then weird. that's when I was like, why don't I have a clue? Because if I had a clue, that definitely would have been the first game we played. Apparently they didn't have clue in Australia. That's so sad. Um, I'm going to walk you through a game of clue. Oh. So let's start the equipment. The game consists of a board, which shows rooms, quarters, and secret passages of an English country house, which could be a uh, Tudor mansion, or maybe a Tudor close, Tudor hall, Arlington Grand, Body Manor, or Body Mansion, depending on the edition. And it's located in Hampshire, England in 1926. The game box also includes several colored pieces to represent the characters, miniature murder weapon props, two six-sided dice, and three sets of cards describing the rooms, characters, and weapons, solution cards, and an envelope or a mirror in some editions. A mirror? Yeah, I don't know. I didn't ever get that edition. Oh, maybe that's you have to look at yourself to yeah, blame yourself? I don't that know. That seems dumb. I murdered him. <laughs> um, that's my dramatic murder laugh. <laughs> I kind of like it. And then it had the detective notepads, which were printed, the list of room, weapon, and characters, mm-hmm. so characters could keep, de- so players could keep detailed notes on the game during the game. We always lost those. Or not, we always lost those, not my personal family, but whoever I lived mm-hmm. with had like a hundred versions and they were all written all over. Well, yeah, then like, you had to start kind of just using your own because there's only so much space. Yeah. Yep. All right. Or so you just wrote over the other ones and you were like, I hope I can figure out my handwriting from this. <laughs> the murder victim in the game is known as Dr. Black in the UK and Mr. Body in the North American version. Player pieces are typically plastic little palms or like the little wooden typical pieces that we know from classic board games. Yep. Or they end up being figurines in some of the newer games. Weird. I like that there are little pawns that are just... Little wooden pieces or yeah, plastic pieces. Or plastic yeah. pieces if you're cheap, which I have always been cheap my entire life. So. Um, the standard edition of Cluedo has six suspects, which are the players that you can choose. Miss mm-hmm. Scarlet, which, fun fact, the second T was dropped in the North American version after 1963. Oh. She's the red piece. Reverend Green, who is Mr. Green in North America, which is the green piece. I always thought it had two T's. I think I always spell it with two T's because I play the classic version. Yeah. So it's two T's. No, but it makes sense. It's after that, two T's yeah. in my head. Yeah. Why wouldn't you keep it um, that way? Colonel Mustard, who is the yellow piece. Professor Plum, the purple piece. Mrs. Peacock, the blue piece. And then Mrs. White, the white piece. Mm-hmm. Which is why I get, because I'm like, two misses. Me. Yeah. 
And then in... They get a, a fucking colonel. Yeah. And a professor. <laughs> and then Mr. Green is like, I guess I'm just... He was Reverend Green in, in the UK. Ew, boring. Mm-hmm. That's, like, worse than being mm-hmm. nothing. So, in 2016, Hasbro launched the current standard version of the game with a new character, Dr. Orchid, replacing Mrs. White. She, and she represents that cute little pink token. Sweet. All right, so the weapons are typically made of unfinished pewter, except for the rope, which is made of plastic or a string. It was always plastic in my version. I was going to say, I think I had a plastic one. Special (laughs) editions also include gold-plated or brass-finished and sterling silver versions. Oh, so if you're fucking fancy. Yes. When you're playing this in your real mansion with your real conservatory. (laughs) Your real conservatory. So the weapons include the candlestick, my favorite. Mm-hmm. The dagger or the knife in the North American edition. Doesn't love a dagger. The lead pipe, which was called lead piping in early UK editions, <laughs> and was actually made out of lead. Oh no! But then we're like, oh, lead is poisonous. Sorry, small children <laughs> who put it in their mouth. The revolver, which first was depicted in the UK version as a Dracy M nineteen oh seven. A semi-automatic pistol. And in North America, it was a Colt M1911. Uh, a rope. And then a wrench, which was de- depicted as a monkey wrench in the North American editions. And an open-end spanner in the traditional UK versions. I don't know the, what the fuck I don't know what that there. one is. No. I just know the monkey wrench because yes. I've played Clue as a child. <laughs> um, okay, so... And the, a semi-adult. Yes. The rooms, we have the nine rooms in the mansion where the murder can take place, the lounge, the dining room, the kitchen, the ballroom, the conservatory, the billiard room, the library, the study, and the hall. Imagine having a separate library and study. Right. God. (laughs) I always imagine like a study is just like an office. Yeah. Couldn't you put your books in there? You know, if you have... Nine rooms. What the fuck are you going to do with them? Bubble bath every room. <laughs> I mean, fair. That's why we're not rich. Like, stop so putting bathtubs <laughs> in your goddamn rooms that you have. Like, but what if it's in the middle and I just, every time you come in, I'm just like lounging <laughs> in a bubble bath. And you're like, you're so pruney always. <laughs> I hate you so much. I can't have any money. <laughs> All right, so um, they're laid out in a circular fashion on the game board, separated by pathways, overlaid by spaces. Each of the four corner rooms contain a secret passage that leads to the opposite diagonal corner of the map. And then the center room, often called either the cellar or the stairs, is inaccessible to the players, but contains the solution envelope and is not otherwise used during the gameplay. That's where you put the little envelope with whoever was, uh, whoever murdered with what and where. The colored start spaces encircle the outer perimeter, which corresponds with each player's specific piece, and each character starts at the corresponding colored space. So if you're Miss Scarlet, you're red, and you start on the red piece, for those who don't understand. Which is where? We'll get into that. Oh! I was just so, going to test you on it. Oh, well, it's right it by in. the lounge, and it, if we're, I always sit in front of it, so it's right here. And then it goes <laughs> Colonel Mustard, and then it goes, oh, who is that? Then it goes Mrs. White, <laughs> and then Professor Plum. Mm-hmm. And then Mrs. Peacock, 
Oh, I'm missing some. I'm not. Mr. Green. Mr. Green. Reverend Green. Ugh. So now that you uh, you know the rules, how do you play? What's the point? What are we doing? Mm-hmm. Let's talk about it. So at the beginning of the of the game, three cards, one suspect, one room, and one weapon are chosen at random and then put into that special envelope so no one can see them. These cards represent the answer to the murder mystery, and the remainder of the cards are distributed among the players. In older versions, and the way that I grew up playing, so I still play now. Classic. Miss Scarlet always begins, and That's then it always how I play Colonel Cl- uh, Clockwise with Colonel Mustard. Yeah, it's just how I Colonel Clockwise. Colonel Clockwise. I actually love that. <laughs> That's my new D and D character. Apparently, in modern versions, you just roll the dice, and the highest total starts, and then it goes clockwise after that. Or you but, just fight over who's Miss Scarlet, and you, you just hit the person who tries to play her. And just so you know, I'm always Miss Scarlet. I don't try to hit Brittany <laughs> because I'm not a dumb bitch. Alright. So, the objective of the game is to deduce the details of the murder, and there are six characters, six murder weapons, and then nine rooms, leaving the players with 324 possibilities. Dang! <laughs> Um, as soon as a player enters a room, they can make a suggestion as to the details, naming a suspect, the room they are in, and then a weapon. For example, I guess Mrs. White in the lounge with the candlestick. But you have to guess that when you're in the lounge. The player suggestions must include the room they are in currently. Ah. And not, and it can't just be randomly made in the corridors. The player pieces that are suggested as suspect and the weapon are immediately moved into the room that the person making the suggestion is in. So if you're in the ballroom, everything gets moved to the ballroom. Suggesting an opponent's character is a legitimate board game strategy. (laughs) And a player is allowed to suggest themselves as a murderer and they also can suggest cards that they actually already have in their hand. Once a player makes a suggestion, the others are called upon to disprove it. If the players to their left hold any of the three named cards, the player must privately show one and only one of the cards to disprove the player's accusation. If they can't do so, it'll just go through to the left, to the left, to the left until it can be disproved. Or, you know, from we go from there. If a player's suggestion has brought another player's piece into the room the second player may make their own suggestion from their room when it comes time for their turn if desired if not they move may move out of their room and be may be able to reach another room make a suggestion therefore blah 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 like the usual gameplay in the american version players are not allowed to make suggestions repeatedly by remaining in one room if they wish to make a second suggestion they must first take a turn to come out then the next turn to go back in if a player who believes they have determined the correct elements, uh, they can make an accusation on their turn. The accusation can include any room, not necessarily the one they're occupied in, if any. So it can be made if they're standing in the middle of the hallway. Nice. And it may be made immediately following a suggestion. So that's when you're like, okay, this is my final thing because no one had anything to disprove you. It's like your eureka moment in yes. real life. Or, like, oh! yeah. or for some reason that, that timer around you realize from deduction that the, a card someone had whatever you mm-hmm. can literally be in the middle of the hall and be like I'm making a suggestion Bitch. or I'm making a, an accusation. Does it have 
to be your turn. It does. Yes, right? it has to be your turn, yep. but you don't have to be in a room to cool. make an accusation. So the accusing player will make what they think it say what they think it is, and then they will privately check the three cards in the envelope. If they match the accusation, the player shows the cards to everyone else, and they win the game. If they Don't. look at the cards and it's wrong, Y'all fucked up. they cannot move or make any suggestions slash accusations for the remainder of the eight game, a.k.a. they fucking lose and they can't play anymore. Oh, okay, so fun fact, I always thought, and I think I played when I was younger, that that person just got murdered. Oh. Because you fucked up. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, I sometimes mean, you're the murderer, so I guess you just committed suicide. Yeah. Okay. I guess. Either way, you can't play anymore, so you lose. Whether yeah. you say you die or not is up to whatever. More player. murder, please. <laughs> I would like another murder. But you lose and you can't do anything, so you're out of the game. So make sure if you go to do it, you know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Me um, blindly guessing. <laughs> I definitely knew. The other players, however, can continue to make their suggestions and continuously privately show cards in order to disprove suggestions. Once you're out of the game, can they still ask you for your cards or are you out of the I was actually just thinking that. They're still part of the circle. You just can't. You don't get to actually have a turn, though. You don't get to leave and be like, I thought I knew what was happening and I didn't. A... Player who makes a false accusation while blocking the door to a room must move into that room so others can enter. Because if you block a door, someone can't go into it, which is a a rule of clue. That makes sense. Yes. And if all players except for the for one have made incorrect accusations, the remaining player automatically wins. Oh, so you can win by being dumb, but also just last. Yeah. If everybody who's playing with you is also dumb. and My aspiration in life. (laughs) I would like to win by everybody else failing. Only in Clue. It just sounds like too much work and I would be too sad about everything I'm sorry. There's no way. I'm just going to... I'm not playing it with you if I'm doing this, obviously. (laughs) Are you fucking kidding me? How many times have I said this episode that you win Clue too many times? Too many times. So, talking about me winning Clue, there is some strategy to this game. Let me punch you with this fist. (laughs) Boom. It starts with your player choice. Mrs. Peacock has an immediate advantage of starting one space closer to the first room than any of the other players. Scarlet starts first. (laughs) Professor Plum can move to the study and then take a secret passage to the kitchen, the hardest room to reach. Traditionally, Miss Scarlet has the advantage of moving to... uh, moving first mm-hmm. that has been eliminated in the earl in the newer here i thought you just but, thought she was hot but <laughs> we don't play that way when you play with me miss scarlet start first miss scarlet <laughs> also is closest to the lounge which can go to the conservatory so she can get that advantage as well i literally have always just been like this person's cute well i mean that's why i started liking miss scarlet but then I was like, oh. I also get to go first. <laughs> I also really liked Colonel Mustard. Shocking. Oh, yeah, no. You know, the yellow one. Also, Colonel Mustard is a baller he name. A sweet fucking He's monocle. got a monocle. He's got a pith helmet. He's got a dashing moustache. He's killing it as far as looks go. <laughs> he right. is Miss Scarlet's counterpart. <laughs> I need a pinup of Colonel Mustard, like, a goddamn sap. 
God damn it. Yeah. I'm, All right. I'm leaning in. <laughs> the next opportunity to choose uh, is the choice of your initial room to enter. Again, Miss Peacock has an advantage as she's the closest to the conservatory. A corner room with a secret passage enabling the player on their turn to move immediately to the other room and make a suggestion after rolling the dice. Miss Scarlet has a similar advantage with the lounge. And, of course, making as many suggestions as possible maximizes how much information your player can gain, which is adventurous. Advantageous. Yes. I knew. There are so many letters. <laughs> also, what's good about Miss Scarlet in the lounge is the kitchen. No, no. The dining room is only. Those are almost the same thing. <laughs> three or maybe four, four to get into the room spaces from door to door. So if you don't want to go directly to the conservatory, more than likely you're going to get a roll that you can go straight into the dining room. The kitchen is next because obviously they would serve the dining room and they would be close. God. (laughs) So anyways, a goal that each uh, player should have... (laughs) is obviously getting into as many rooms as possible so that way they can make as many acquisitions as possible to get the most hints as possible. Fuck around and Uh, find out. Exactly. You have to fuck around a bunch in order to find out. (laughs) Players should make also good use of the secret passages because it's an automatic into another room. And it's fun. Yep. And then um, it also lets you go to a totally different side of the board to Mm -hmm. get the other rooms without needing to go through them all. And then following um, the shortest path between rooms is then a good choice, even if a player already holds a card representing the room in their hand. And you're also allowed, like I said earlier, to block passages of another player from entering rooms to prevent them from making suggestions. What a bitch move, though. Various single space tracks on the board can therefore become traps, which are best avoided by players when planning the path of a room, like we were talking in between (laughs) the billiard room and the library. There's just the four. It's only four, but it's a single. So if anyone's there, you can be screwed. Uh, Yes. Fuck. Yep. It has a lot more to it than you would think of just being like, I'm guessing random murder people, which is all you do. Yes. <laughs> Can confirm. That is exactly what I do. I'm like, what if I guess this is why I'm good at Clue? I guess random murder people. I also guess people who I know are guessing. I'm like, oh, I bet you're getting close. I'll just guess this person <laughs> and put them in a room that they don't want to be in. I don't know if they don't want to be in this room because I didn't do the detective work, but I know it's not where they are. <laughs> so my my clue fucking theory is be a fucking dickhead. No, literally nothing. It, like everything. <laughs> you know, like in fucking manga when there's like a giant arrow that pierces the person. <laughs> This was it. (laughs) Rip me, rip me. Shit. Now it's time to make some suggestions and reveal cards from the other player's suggestions. Each player begins the game with three to six cards in their hand, depending on the number of players. And keeping track of the cards as they are shown to each player is important to deduce the the solution. Mm. Detective notes are supplied in the game to help make the task easier. The pads can not only keep history of which cards are in a player's hand, but also which cards have been shown to another player. It can be useful in deducing which cards the players have shown to others. For example, 
if Miss Scarlet disproves Mr. Green's accusation that Mrs. Peacock did the crime in the ballroom with the candlestick, a player with both the ballroom and Mrs. Peacock in their hands can deduce that Miss Scarlet has the candlestick. Does that make sense? Yep. Okay. And a player makes a suggestion to learn which cards can may be eliminated from suspicion. However, in some cases, it may be advantageous for a player to include one of their own cards in the suggestion. To fuck other people over. This I can... also do that part because I think, and also sometimes I lose track of what I have. <laughs> this technique can be used for both forcing a player to reveal a different card as well as misleading, misleading other players into believing that a specific card is suspect. Yes, your cat is meowing. Yeah. <laughs> Therefore, moving into a room already held in a player's hand may work to their advantage. Suggestions may also be used as a th- as a thwart to a player's opponent, since every suggestion results in the suspect piece being moved and relocated. <laughs> a suggestion may be used to prevent a player from achieving their intended destination, preventing them from su- suggesting a particular room, mm-hmm. especially if that player appears to be getting close to a solution. Yeah, so when Brittany has that fucking glint in her eyes, <laughs> I'm like, I'm pretty sure it was Miss Scarlet literally wherever the fuck I am right now. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. my, <laughs> my one theory. You have to boop yourself back and I'm like, well, do, do, do. At least I've saved myself a tiny bit of time where I won't do any work and I won't figure things out. All right. So um, if you can guess from what I was talking, just talking about, note taking is the key to winning the game. Mm. One reason the game is enjoyable by many ages and skill levels is the complexity of the note taking can increase as the player becomes more skillful. Beginners may simply mark off the cards that they have been shown. More advanced players will keep track of who has and uh, does not have a particular card, possibly with the aid of additional grid. Expert players may even keep track of each suggestion made, knowing that the player who answers it must have at least one of the cards named, which once you get less and less, you can deduce which is what. Is that you? Are you an expert? I'm not quite there. That's too much note You're the level below. But I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm the advanced. Yes. <laughs> I am a child playing with Brittany who's trying to ruin her day. <laughs> uh, one can also keep track of which cards... A given player is seen in order to minimize information, which is what I do, revealing to being so I'll always try to say the same card. If you always pick Colonel Mustard, no matter who it is, I'm always going to, if I have that card, I'm always going to pick that. So I'm only giving away that one card multiple times. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, that's one I of mean, the big things I mean, of course that do. makes so much sense, but also like... So it's less information for you and hopefully... Whoever I'm playing with doesn't pay attention <laughs> and is just giving me a bunch Hopefully of information. Whoever you're playing with didn't listen to this episode. They'll <laughs> be like, Colonel Mustard again? <laughs> no, are we kidding? I'll forget this between now and then, and then I'll be like, I'm just putting Brittany in the billiards room again. Ha ha! Ha ha ha! Little did you know it happened in the billiards room! Oh no! <laughs> All right. I'm just going to end it with this. Clue simplicity makes it appealing to both adults as well as children. You can even get away with saying it's the fourth or fifth most popular game after chess, checkers, Monopoly, and Scrabble. Though figures vary 
and manufacturers refuse to disclose the total amount of units sold. Oh, really? It's, yes, there's no exact amount. That's um, so weird. It's estimated to be about 150 million copies, and it's a steady seller. So no that matter what, it, it still sells. And so much, even that after 68 years, it finally earned its spot on the National Toy Hall of Fame in 2017. So... That is Clue. Yeah. I was going to make a stupid Chris Evans joke at the end, but I didn't. No, that's fair. But I'm going to say it so that way I can mention Chris Evans. (laughs) I was going to make like a Chris Evans Knives Out joke because it is a murder mystery. Yes. (laughs) That's fair. I can see where that would go. Yeah. (laughs) Shit. All right, everyone. This is episode 48. I hope you enjoyed it. At least we didn't super hive mine this week like we did last week. No. No. <laughs> Last week was weird. That was weird. <laughs> it's, well, it's one of those things that's almost happened a few times mm-hmm. where it's like one of us has done a topic and I was like, oh, was, you, we were so close to doing yeah. a topic that, but it's never happened. And then it was identical topics last yeah, week. Yeah, just like slightly different places. Just, just more of our you jam. were video games and I was comics. Which is just our area of go. expertise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, that was good. Episode 48. 48 issues in. You know to rate, review, subscribe. Please go on Apple iTunes and do that for us. Also, just like, you know, if your, like, date leaves their phone around. Yeah. You know, if you are a hot chica and a guy gives you his phone to put his number in. Put your number in. Put your number in. (laughs) Thank you. He's like, what's my number? And you're like, I just don't care about you. Make sure you rate, review, subscribe our podcast and steal all of his Pokemon and then give it back to him. (laughs) So The rough thing about that is you can only steal one Pokemon a day, but make sure it's the most shiny. Make sure it's the most the shiny. Most shiny one. <laughs> Man, I want a fucking shiny snubble so bad. <laughs> okay, so you can also listen to us on Spotify. You can. Oh, no. Uh, we're also part of the ESO network, and you can hear us on Podbean. Yes. <laughs> Oh no. Oh no. And sorry guys, it's real late. It's past midnight and oh, we're losing it. Oh no. Thank fucking God I walked my dog. Yeah, for reals. Um, but yeah. Sorry. For reals. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I am for eels. <laughs> Never meant to make your mama cry. <laughs> I am several fish and not a guy. (laughs) I'm leaving this in, Kevin. It's your fault. Sorry, Miss Jackson. Ooh, I am for eels. (laughs) All right, everyone. Best meme ever. (laughs) Wins the meme award. I don't know if I had anything else to say, but whatever. See you next Tuesday. I'm lost forever. Gotta get back. Back, back to, to the, the past. past. Samurai Jack. Back, back, back. Yeah. Can you guess who it's in the clues? Can you guess who it's a mystery? <laughs> Does your person wear a hat? No. No. They're a mystery. <laughs> God. Gotta get back. Back to the past. Samurai Jack. Jack, Jack, Jack. Watcha. 
The girl with the deep voice sends Rindy Hawk. has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.